We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Napa a Napa guy knows that by the foot, there's no better ride than an old station wagon. Room for six people facing forward, two people facing backward, and a whole lot of luggage, lumber, and bicycles haphazardly strapped to the roof. If you can parallel park that beast, you can park anything. And with some quality parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep your land ship running longer, stronger. It's not obsolete. It's a rare treasure. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Thursday, March 9th. Nick Whalen here with the venerable James Anderson. James, on this day, 32 years ago, Fat Lever recorded 10 steals in a win over Indiana. Can you name the only player since 2010 to record 10 steals in a game? It happened this season. Draymond. Draymond Green, correct. Just over a month ago. Uh, I believe it's some sometime in in early February. Bonus question: Since you got that one right so quickly, can you name the last player before him to do it? This happened in two thousand nine. There's a guard who is no longer in the NBA. Hmm. I feel like I'm gonna be pretty upset when you tell me. I maybe, but I remember when I looked at it, I wasn't like, "Oh wow, that's so obvious." Draymond, as far as a question like this goes, is a pretty obvious answer, I guess. This guy was never thought of as like a hounding defender. Right. Uh, man, I Larry Hughes. That, no, he, <laughs> he was out of the league way before that. <laughs> that was a good guess. Brandon Roy. Oh, okay. Brandon Roy okay. had 10 steals yep. in a game in 2009. Um, okay, we got a lot to talk about. Celtics Warriors. and talk a little Milwaukee Bucks. Winners of four straight. Talk Pelicans. Get into some MVP voting debate uh, and then we'll of course talk about the nba draft as well but we'll start with celtics warriors celtics go into golden state beat the warriors last night uh i know you didn't have a chance to see this one but i, I actually sat down and and watched a full warriors game for the first time since they had lost kevin durant and you know a lot has been made about you know this the shooting struggles especially of curry and thompson and those continue they were a combined four of 17 in this game uh, the Celtics won 99 to 86. 
but the biggest story to me was that the Celtics defense looked really, really good, and they have a bunch of guys that they can throw at this Golden State team, especially on the wing and in the backcourt, to, to really frustrate Thompson and Curry. And, and we saw that with Avery Bradley had a couple of huge steals that went the other way for baskets late in this game. Marcus Smart uh, had a couple of plays like that throughout the game. Uh, and Golden State, you know, I think they were down five or six with, with about two or three minutes left. And, you know, they really, really needed a defensive stop, gave up two straight offensive rebounds to Boston. Uh, and that's really what ended up kind of sewing up the game for the Celtics. And, you know, if even with Kevin Durant, the biggest weakness for this Warriors team, and you use the term weakness, you know, uh, a little bit differently when you're discussing this team, uh, but it's been their lack of size and it's been their lack of rebounding. They actually won the rebounding battle in this game, but they, they couldn't do it when it mattered late. Turned the ball over 17 times, some some reckless play at the top uh, by Steph Curry. So I guess the overall question as it pertains to the Warriors right now, should they be worried at all that San Antonio is now only a game back in the loss column and they play in San Antonio on Saturday night? Yeah, I think they, they should be worried because I think the one seed is pretty important in the West, especially just because you you never know how long it's going to take for Kevin Durant to get back to being normal Kevin Durant. Uh, they'll they'll have a much easier pass from path from the one seed than they would from the two seed, just in terms of who they play before the conference finals. So I think that that seeding is very important. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think they know that. I think that they're aware of their issues, and you know they need to stay healthy the rest of the way. I think they could they could maybe still hold on to that one seed if they if they can avoid any further injuries. But mm-hmm. uh, it's going to probably come down to the last couple games of the season. I think they'll hold on to it. You know, if I had to bet who's sitting in that one spot you know, in game 82, I think it's still going to be Golden State. Uh, and part of that is how much do the Spurs actually care about getting that one seed? In the past, it's been very little. You know, we've seen Pop sacrifice seeding, you know, in terms of gaining extra rest. And with the age on this roster with guys like Parker and Ginobili and Gasol, um, you know, it, it seems likely that they'll follow that path again. But when you look at the Western Conference, I know Oklahoma City has, has slipped of late and they don't look all that great. Memphis hasn't played all that well. They're four and six over their last 10. To me, there's still a clear divide between the seven and the eight. Well, and it's not. I mean, it's not about who they play in the first round, in my no. opinion. It's about who you play in the second round. Right. Like you'd, you'd much rather play whoever the four seed is than the, the Rockets as the three yeah, seed. Right, exactly. I, I think, yeah, I think a team like the Spurs matches up really well with Utah. Um, I don't think they're really scared of the Clippers. But I think even in round one, and, and of course Popovich is, is never looking at round one. It's always the bigger picture. You theoretically have to spend more energy playing against Oklahoma City than you do against Denver or yeah, Portland. I, I think I, I would still probably predict a sweep uh, right. over over OKC. I think so, too. So. But you're you're right. I mean, it would be you would have to try a little harder. So Steph went at Jalen Brown in this game. Oddly enough, uh, he hit a, a leaning three. I think it was to close the third quarter with with Jalen Brown kind of all over him and emphatically chirped back at the rookie, seemingly out of nowhere. I don't know if there was some sort of previous exchange earlier in the game that prompted that, but it was at that point. Yeah, you know, I think the Warriors were either up one or down one. You kind of felt like all right. This is here, you know, here comes Curry's. We've seen this before. They're going to get the crowd into it. You know, Draymond's playing well. Clay's going to start hitting some shots. And it, it just never quite happened. Um, you know, I think it was on, I believe, Sports Center this morning. Or no, it was on the Levitard show. Tom Haverstrow uh, was on, and Haverstrow of ESPN. And he said it kind of reminds him of the Heat in their final year when LeBron was there, when, you know, they had had these great runs and, you know, the team is still intact. I, I it it just doesn't see I think the word to use was it doesn't seem as fun for them right now. They're not having as much fun. The pressure's maybe starting to get to them as this run continues. I don't know how much I really buy that. I think a lot of the Heat's demise was, you know, Chris Bosch was, was getting a little bit older. He'd been banged up. Dwayne Wade, you know, had really, really declined over the previous couple of years, and I think that's probably what ultimately did them in. Uh but is it is that something that's crossed your mind at all that this Warriors team you know the, the the kind of miracle run that they went on last year and kind of to end two seasons ago things have maybe caught up to them in some ways uh no I I think you're obviously maybe not going to look like you're having as much fun as you did when you won 73 games right. I think that that I mean how how could you have more fun than winning 73 games plus that team was really deep so there and they were, had just come off a title right and there were a lot of 
opportunities uh, for those guys to to get a bit more rest, I think. And the team, had, it had been a unit that had been together the, the previous year, so there was a little bit more familiarity. But I, I still think with a healthy healthy Kevin Durant, this is far and away the, the best team in the league. So I, I, don't, I, think, so too. I don't think that that comparison really holds up um so for boston you know they beat cleveland last week obviously the Cavs were without kevin love and without jr smith they go in into golden state and beat a warriors team that doesn't have kevin durant um and that's a huge caveat but i, I think the way they won that game pretty emphatically you know holding the warriors to 86 points at home is not something that many teams have been able to do there's still this belief that you know, Boston is a step below Cleveland, you know, despite the way that Isaiah Thomas is playing, despite how well their role players are playing. Is there anything the Celtics can do during the regular season to prove themselves as a legitimate contender, or is it going to have to be done in the postseason? It has to be done in the postseason, and they just don't match up well with the Cavs at all, in my opinion. I, I don't think they have anyone that can even come close to slowing LeBron down. And I just, I think that their offense is going to be really really predictable in the playoffs I think that you're going to see a guy especially like a guy like Isaiah Thomas I think you're going to see his production take a big step back his efficiency take a big step back once you once you get into the playoffs and I just think that the they're going to have a hard time getting easy baskets on that end I think the 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 perimeter defense can be can be pretty solid but everything goes through LeBron and and I just don't see them them slowing that Cavs team down assuming the Cavs have everybody back yeah, I mean, the way Boston was flying around defensively was really, really, really impressive. I When I checked this morning at how many turnovers Golden State had, which was 17, that was like a shockingly low number. It seemed like they were turning it over left and right. And, you know, those cuts that, that Golden State is usually able to execute better than anybody, whether it's, you know, Draymond flying down the middle of the court and then slinging a pass to the corner for a wide open three or, you know, clay dribbling around you know kind of going left to right and slinging one inside to javel for a dunk like those were all there but boston was just a half second quicker and able to to get deflections and get going the other way and not many teams have the athletes to do that but with boston it's like you need to play that kind of defense for every game of a seven game series and then you have to find ways to score too and i don't i don't know that isaiah thomas as great as he's been offensively is going to be able to do that in the playoffs I mean, this is somebody who's a career 38 percent shooter from the floor in 10 postseason games sticking in the eastern conference the milwaukee bucks have now won four straight games they beat the knicks last night uh, i don't really want to talk all that much about the bucks specifically but looking at kind of that bottom tier of the east now there's basically five teams that are vying for two playoff spots detroit chicago miami milwaukee and charlotte which two of those five do you think get in uh man i i think i think the bucks get in and i think the pistons get in okay so i think the the bulls fall out i mean the the heat of of all those of those four teams i think the heat are in most desperate need of of getting into the lottery right but they obviously haven't really played like that this year but i, I do think you could get to a point down the stretch where maybe they start resting some guys. Uh, I think the the Bucks just all everything kind of they, they look like the best team to me on paper of those four teams, um, just in terms of what they've done to this point. But a lot of that was with Jabari Parker, obviously. I I don't know. I don't I don't trust really any of these teams. It's not something I would bet on, but I would I would pick the the, the Bucks and the Pistons. Yeah, I would not touch this in terms of putting real money on it. I have no idea how it's going to turn out. Detroit and Chicago currently hold the seven and the eight, but the Heat and the Bucks uh, are a half game back. So those four teams are all separated by a half game. And you have Charlotte, who's two and a half back of Miami and Milwaukee. Definitely not out of it, but a little bit more ground to make up. I, I don't. I've watched this Bucks team a lot this year. If they play like they have the last week and a half, then they're in because I don't think any of the teams above them are all that good. But they've also looked like a bottom five team in the NBA for a decent portion of this season. So I think I would go – I think it'll end as it is now. I think Detroit gets in, and I think Chicago gets in. I think Miami eventually falls back a little bit, and I think Milwaukee just misses out. I mean, Chicago's been a mess. They're 31-33. and 33. Everything has seemingly gone wrong for them, and they're still sitting in the eight. I feel like Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade, at the end of the day, is still a pairing that I would take over – 
Goran Dragic and Hassan Whiteside or Giannis and Dedekumpo and Chris Middleton? Uh, I I wouldn't. Um, I I I think. Well, it depends. I I like I like Giannis and Middleton a bit more than those two. Uh, I just think that they they complement each each other a bit better. Uh, I think I think Giannis is is better than than Jimmy Butler. Yeah. I mean, Jimmy Butler's had a, a really good year, but I mean, going forward for sure. I mean, Middleton I think Giannis it, is by it, far the best pair. A eggs. lot of it. I mean, a lot of it depends on just how how many minutes Middleton can can handle like, right. in back-to-back games and stuff like that. Right. Uh, I'm just saying for the next 20 games to get you into sure. the playoffs, I think I would rather trust the experience of Wade and Butler. Like, I'm not saying that they're better pairing than Giannis and, and Middleton because Giannis is by far the best player of, of any of those. Um, but it just seems like, like I said, everything's gone it, wrong for it, Chicago and they're still yeah. in the playoff picture. It does sort of feel like Giannis could carry this team in right. by himself, whereas – you know, I, I love Jimmy Butler. He's he's really good, but he's not the type of guy that can mm-hmm. just will his team to wins. You know, to just consecutive win after win. And I don't, I just don't love the way those two guys complement each other. But it, it's close. Who do you want to see? And like from a pure entertainment perspective, who do you want to see go up against Cleveland? Like who gives them the best fight? Well, I'd like. I think I'd like the Bulls and the Bucks, just because you get uh, you get Wade in there, maybe as the eight seed. That'd right. be nice against Cleveland. I'd like to see. Giannis in the postseason because he's just the most fun to watch of all those teams. That the Pistons bore me. Well, if they're the, if the Bulls and the Bucks are the seven and the eight, they could meet in the East Finals. Then who could meet in the, East? the Bucks and the Bulls? Oh, sure. opposite sides of the bracket. That's a good point. Okay, so looking at the West, Pelicans, not not good. Things have not been good. Lost again last night. They're 25-40. and 40. Davis left the game with a wrist injury. Doesn't look to be all that serious, but this is like the fifth or sixth time this year that he might miss a game or two with, with these minor injuries that have kind of plagued him throughout his career. But now they are four and a half out of the eighth seed behind Denver with 17 games left. I do not think the Pelicans are going to be able to make that up. No. They, have, they have shown no reason that you would think that no. they would be able to make that up. No. Obviously no. not. No? Okay. They're, like, they're, they're well, clearly not. So I that was going to be my question. Is like, are, I, think they have a better shot of, I think they have a better shot of keeping their pick this year yeah. than they do of getting it. I think it. so, too. I think and that sounds like we're just being hyperbolic, but no. Like I think the models would probably show that, too, right? I mean, yeah. they are... They're four game. They're closer to being the third worst team in the league than they are to being the eight seed. Yes. So yeah, I, they actually are. Would they have the audacity to somehow find a way to tank with those two? Could they just tank by playing as they? I have think been? they have been tanking. Yeah. Like un- I think they've been unintentionally tanking with those yeah. two. So I think it's it's working out. Not as good as you could hope because I think as <laughs> good not. as good as you could hope would mean that like those two just teamed up and were all of a sudden like looked like maybe a top six or seven team in the West. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I, I mean, the next best thing from that is them having a chance to keep their pick this year. Right. I, I think that this – I know it's a small sample. I just think this is very – very much should not come as a surprise to people that have watched DeMarcus Cousins lead teams to 28, 29, 30 wins for his entire career. He's never right. proven that he can be on a winning team, so I don't think it should come as a surprise that the the Pelicans are not winning. Yeah, that's basically what I said to DJ earlier this week. Is like I kind of got swept up in the you know Boogie and AD is going to be unstoppable. We haven't seen a front court like this in forever without looking at the rest of the roster and realizing how terrible. I mean, it's basically those two, Drew Holiday and the Nets. That's the rest of the roster. So it's a. That that argument works for me a little bit, but it also, you know, there are pairings of three other players that I think people might think of similarly as those guys that mm-hmm. if you subbed them out, I feel like the team would be winning. Like, you can win with just a big three and crap right. We, if, right, if exactly. they're, the, if they're winning yeah. players. Like, if, if they've, like, mm-hmm. Dwayne Wade's always won. LeBron's always won. Chris Bosh, even in Toronto, like had that team hanging around 500. Right. Uh, that was not surprising to see those three lift up a mediocre supporting cast. It's not surprising to see 
the Warriors big four right. lift up a mediocre supporting cast. I the thing is the Clippers never, like I mean have we seen that work when two of the guys are high usage like center slash fours? You know, like it's worked in Miami when you had a guard, a wing, a big. Uh, Boston was kind of the same way. You had a you know a guard and Ray Allen, a wing and Pierce, a big and Garnett. Like when two of the guys are high usage fours, and like you're just you're just kind of throwing out the two position and the three position, maybe it becomes a little harder. Yeah, there might be something to that, but I also just I think uh, I think you're lo- you're also looking at three players in Holiday, Cousins, and Anthony Davis that have never won anything save for the one year that uh, the Pelicans got the, the mm-hmm. eight seed like that. So I, I just think these, I mean, there, there's gotta be some correlation to, to that. And yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised that they're not winning. I, I think that the supporting cast definitely matters, but I, I don't think that just because your supporting cast is that bad doesn't mm-hmm. mean you're automatically going to be that. Yeah. Bad. Well, that's the thing is like, if you replace who's even starting at the three for them right now, Solomon Hill, or Etuan Moore, like if you replace one of those guys with, like who's like a league average, you know, Courtney. You say you like throw in Courtney Lee and like Otto Porter, and that Otto oh. Porter is pretty good. So maybe he's maybe he's too good to use in this conversation. Like, does that make them a playoff yeah. team? Like they they don't look anything near a team that's competing for the playoffs right now, even with those three guys in the lineup. I think if you had just from the start of that trade, if if you had Courtney Lee and Otto Porter on the team i think they would be looking yeah pretty close to to okay. play yeah team. porter was a bad example because you can good. i mean it's just so important to have guys that are not uh average or below average like if you just have five guys who are all even just marginally above average mm-hmm. like then that that just really helps and then these aren't veteran guys either. You know, I think we've seen it work too, that's, where you can fill that, yeah, in. That's what I mean. Yeah, like, you can fill in the cracks of your roster with Eddie House and Mike Bibby and Eric Dampier. And if your players around them are good enough, they'll make it work because these guys are savvy and they know right. they just know how to play the game. As cliche as it is, I'm, you can't say that about Solomon Hill or Etwan no. Moore or Tim Frazier. Well, on the the core, I mean, the, like, Holiday and Cousins are, are veterans, but I mean they're also veterans that are are just. Like look at the Timberwolves. Like they they have you know a bunch of talent, but like they just don't have anyone that's got any kind of experience being right. uh, a key contributor on a, on a winner. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about the MVP. This debate has obviously been waging all season, but I think it's picked up after after the Kawhi Leonard game earlier this week uh, as the Spurs came back to beat Houston. Leonard hit the go, the go ahead three and then blocked James Harden on the other end of the court. Um, if you're a believer that the MVP has to have like a you know a Heisman moment type of thing, this was obviously <laughs> it for Kawhi Leonard. Um, in most seasons, as we've discussed multiple times, Kawhi Leonard would probably be the MVP, as would Russell Westbrook, as would James Harden, as would LeBron James, as would Kevin Durant. If he's healthy, they all just happen to be having these transcendent seasons at once. I don't know if there's a correct answer to who's the MVP it really comes down to semantics and how you define MVP and there are a million ways to do that but uh, I'll let you take the floor and briefly explain what your criteria is and then give me your your top four or five in order uh, my, my my criteria is you know how much value do you bring offensively how much value to br- do you bring defensively I probably weigh that like 60% offense, 40% defense. Uh, and then I look at, you know, what what's the supporting cast look like? What's the team's record? Uh, how many games have you played? Like, I think obviously games factors into it. And I, mean, I think, I mean, that's pretty much it. Just offensive and defensive value and team success and games played. and okay. And like what... Like what type of team, like team success relative to, you know, the players around you. Okay. So you do kind of stick to the the quote unquote true definition of value rather than who's the best individual player. No, I think it's got to be in season value. Cause I think, I mean, if we were to just give it to the best player, we'd just give it to LeBron every year. Yeah. I, I know some have discussed there should be a separate award, you know, for best player and then MVP. I do not like I don't, that. See, I don't, I, I don't, don't think like you like, 
I don't think like LeBron should just automatically get it by just showing up and uh, us knowing he's the best player. Yeah. Like I think you have to put the work in during the season. He's done that this year. I, I agree. mean, I think he's. I think he's it's just, it's very, just not enough. I mean, I think it's close to enough, but I, I think that he, like, it has to. You, at some point, like, what happens in the games mm-hmm. has to to matter. What do you think about the idea of factoring in the playoffs? You, you know, right now voting ends at game 82 and it's awarded, you know, sometime during the finals. What do you think about of voting for the award in late June, right before the draft? And then you can take into account whatever happens in the playoffs. So you'd have, um, I mean, it could hurt some, it would, it would help others. I, I don't really like that. I, I think that you – there are times in history where guys have gotten super exposed, like David Robinson winning over Hakeem Olajuwon and then and then Hakeem just destroying him in, in, a, in a postseason series. Uh, but then there are times when I feel like a, a deserving winner during the regular season would maybe just get passed over by someone just because of something that happened over a, a – a two or three week stretch right. I, well here's an I, example I like it. so steph was the unanimous mvp last year how different would voting have been if it if it was done after the finals i think there i mean he wouldn't have been the unanimous but, right it totally changes how you view it but i also see that's one of the reasons why i don't want to change it mm-hmm. is i think absolutely steph should have been the unanimous mvp yeah, last year i agree i think so too i i don't like talking hypothetical about changing these things because it you have to like start a new era of like history as you look back, you know, it's like, all right, well, starting with 2017, the MVP is now different than it has been for the last 50 years. Like, I don't love that. And it's like, yeah, it sucks that Russell Westbrook might average a triple double and not get it, but too bad. Like there yeah. were, that means someone else had a really good season. Yeah. No, I, I don't, I mean, I don't feel bad for anybody uh, that does. Well, I think win. that's what this is all about is like, well, we can't decide these guys are all so good. It's like, that's the point. That's the fun of all this is having this debate. And you know, it's, just, it's great that we actually have four or five candidates that are all this legitimate when it comes to, you know, the resumes they put together. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, how many, how many of these guys would you put ahead of, if any, would you put ahead of uh, Curry last year? Oh, that's so tough. Because I'm with you. I think he was 100% deserving of the unanimous MVP. So, well, are we saying... Well, the, I, don't, well I also kind of don't want to spoil who you have first, but... No, that's right. Um, no, that's, this is a really good question. I, I, I personally wouldn't put any of them ahead of Curry Well, it's hard year, because it's like, it's if the, you throw... If Curry's having that season this year... Or are we are we kind of like which which way are we doing this? Are, are we like planting let's the just current say, seasons last take, year? Take last season Curry because it's different with Durant, you know. Like if he was having that season with Durant on the team, they might be undefeated right now. You know, like it kind of changes that. Or if Harden is having the season he's having now versus what he did last year, maybe they beat the Warriors last year. Like things are things are different, I guess. But I still think it would be Curry because I do too. In theory, if the Warriors are still best, winning, best seven, offensive season of all time. Not even close. Yes, I agree. I think wins. Yeah, if the Warriors still win 73 games and Harden does what he did and Westbrook does what he did, I still think it's Curry. Yeah. Agreed. Anyway, your top four or five, however many you want to go through. All right, so I got Kawhi number one. I have Harden two, LeBron three, Westbrook four, and Curry five. Okay. I can get on board with that. I there To me, the gaps are just extremely narrow between Kawhi and Harden, between Harden and honestly Kawhi, Harden, LeBron, I would have no problem um, being in any order. I do think there's a gap between those three and Westbrook, but I think there's a really small gap between Westbrook and Curry. So to me, the top three is clear and the four and five is clear, but I think there's a gap in between. So there's a small gap between Westbrook and Curry. Yeah, that that I think might be the hottest take out of that whole ranking. Well, here's here's another hot take. If you switch <laughs> if you switch Westbrook and Curry on their respective teams, I think the Warriors have more losses yes. and the uh, Thunder have more wins. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think it's partially that's like a styles. weird way to kind of do it, but like yeah, I think I, I think Westbrook actively like his his teammates <clears throat> his teammates are less effective because of the style of play that he's taking on this season. 
and I'm not you know, I, I think it's just not in him to not play this way right now. Like, I don't think there's any way that you could convince him to not play this way. But I think that he's wasting, like, a year of Steven Adams' development. Mm-hmm. I think he is, you know, he if you just compare effective field goal percentage of these five guys, Westbrook's at 46.9. Next lowest is Harden at 52.9. Uh, Kawhi 54.3 Curry 57.2 and LeBron at 58.9 like there's more than 10 points of effective field goal percentage in between LeBron and Westbrook LeBron seems got way more wins Uh, he's averaging eight boards nine assists to Westbrook's 11 boards 10 assists I mean I I to me you know LeBron's making his teammates better you put Westbrook on that Cavs team I think that Cavs team's like Maybe around 500. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's pretty easy to make a case for Kawhi Harden and LeBron ahead of Westbrook. I feel like Westbrook has definitely lost traction. I think around the All Star break, he was probably still waffling with Harden among for most voters around one two. You can it was kind of those two. Then there was a little bit of a golf. And like now that OKC has lost six out of their last ten, they've lost four straight. Uh, just the other night, they were I mean they were tied uh you know late in the game and Westbrook basically shot him out of it you know it could have gone either way it's a game that sometimes he wins for them sometimes he loses for them but he missed his last six shots at the game he he, I mean he's the only one of these five guys who we can all remember like a handful of times this year where he's taking taking horrible shots in crucial moments late in the game but like the but the clutch numbers say he's like the best clutch player in the league I mean how are those determined though is that is it's that like under two minutes within no, like like is that like factoring in efficiency or is it just factoring in i'm honestly not sure because like if it's just it's production if it's just production then obviously because yeah. he's the only one touching when he's also ball. playing he's like, also playing in clutch time more because his team is, yeah, is exactly. in these games whereas other teams are winning by enough like that it's not clutch. i'll take these other four guys over him in a close game oh yeah unless like unless i just need some sort of a miracle uh, like the, the time that he picked Chris Paul's pocket and like they just pulled something completely out of their ass. Like unless I need something like that, I might I might take Westbrook just because he's the only one physically gifted enough to really pull that off other than maybe Kawhi. But if I just want a quality, like a really, really quality possession to win a game, he's the that's, last. That's of not where five. you're going with that. OK, so your argument against Russ is he's had a great season, but the efficiency just hasn't been there. I just think that they're. They're hollow stats. Okay. Uh, like I think a lot of them are hollow. I think that the rebounding has been well documented. That you know he's got what like seventy rebounds on free throws this year. He's got like how many times do you see him get a rebound where two of his teammates could have gotten it or probably should have gotten it, but like get out of the way and mm-hmm. let him get it. Uh, to me, the the triple double means absolutely nothing in this discussion. Like him winning, him get averaging a triple double. It's kind of like. Uh, in baseball when uh, Miguel Cabrera won the MVP for winning the triple crown. Like these are just three statistics. They're not the only three statistics. You can look at a ton of other data that suggests he was worse. Like if you just want to lay out, like say your 25 favorite statistics, those might be the only three where he leads these guys in. So I, I just think picking those three as like, Oh, well he did that. So it's gotta be him. Like if, if he's, the reason why he's doing this is because of the style of play he's adopting. Now, that's that's true of Harden to some extent, too, but Harden's doing it <clears throat> in a much more efficient manner, and he makes his teammates better. And I, I don't think Russ makes his teammates better. Why do we think that everyone is so critical of the triple-double now? Like... Even two years ago, if somebody would have told you, it doesn't have to be Westbrook, if somebody would have said, this player is going to average a triple-double, his team's going to make the playoffs, and he's going to finish maybe third or fourth in the MVP voting, like, wouldn't that have sounded crazy? Like, what? why did we oh, stop yeah. becoming impressed with these triple-doubles? Is it because of how Russ is going about it? You know, LeBron's not that far from I think it's a because of the way he's going about it. Okay. Like, I think, if, I think if LeBron was averaging a triple-double... And I mean, what just, is he like, and an assist and, and a half? He's, away? Not, yeah, he's, he's not that he's far. not that far off. I mean, he's he's like a assist away and 
like one and a half rebounds away. Harden's close. Yeah. Like if either of those guys were averaging a triple double, I'd be a lot more impressed. It's just the the team context and the uh it it's just I don't know. I it doesn't always look pretty to me when when there's something a little bit dirty like about like the, the fact, way he gets it. Yeah, like them. the fact that he's like so clearly going for it almost cheapens it. Like when you're getting all your assists out of the way early in the game so you can just not pass at all <laughs> he, late in the he game. He literally plays like you when you're playing 2K and you right. have to hit those like in-game achievements. Yeah, it it's it's just so blatantly yeah. all about him, all about him and I'm I mean I get it. Like I think that this is one of those things where Westbrook is going to get one or two years like this out of his system. I think he's going to be absolutely just completely confused if he if he averages triple double and doesn't win the MVP like he's not going to be able to understand why he didn't win the MVP he's going to think the whole world's out to get him Some sort of prank but like you know eventually it's just gonna reality is going to mm-hmm. set in that people care about team success and the best way for that team to have more success is for him to advance the development of a right. max center he's got on on his team that's the thing is like I don't know if Westbrook realizes if he maybe took five or six fewer shots per game, didn't expend unbelievable amounts of energy going for rebounds that sometimes he can't get or rebounds that put him out of position on defense. Like, even say he's averaging 28, 9, and 8 instead of what, 31, 10, and 10, but his team has five more wins, like, I think that it, helps him more than the than getting to the round numbers of a triple-double. And if double. he doesn't grade out as a below average defender he's seventh in box score or in defensive box score plus minus for whatever that's worth to you higher than i would have thought that's like he's like 0.3 behind rudy gobert well according to espn's real plus minus he is a negative defender so i value that a little bit more than the just pure uh counting stat box minus type of stuff um i also just just the eye test he he's not a He's not a good defender. I mean, he he's capable of making great defensive plays, but he just is not a good team defender. He doesn't help. He uh, gambles a lot on the perimeter. It's yeah. I don't think anyone would tell you they he's a, they game plan for Russell Westbrook defensively. <laughs> no, he's a better he's a better defender than James Harden, which is yes. if if you want to give him a check mark in his favor. That's the there. thing. Like Harden pulled off this con of like playing horrible defense for many years and then just like getting a little bit better and now everyone <laughs> thinks he's good on defense no well people just don't he's no longer just like an ongoing meme where yeah. it's just like oh look what he did tonight like but he like he like hustled everybody yeah he, yeah he played bad for defense sure. for long enough that now the bar is set so low that anything he does is good what do you think of like here's another case against westbrook like when the the thunder played the warriors uh who i forget i feel like someone reported it, it might have been ethan strauss that the Warriors' whole game plan in that game was to put Kevin Durant on Westbrook because they knew that Westbrook would just go one-on-one against him for the entire game, right. and they would win. Like, and that's would, basically what happened. You could not, you could not con any of these other candidates into mm-hmm. that type of play in one game. Totally. Yeah, Russ has been very hypocritical with that stuff, which is odd. You know, like that whole game, he, all he did was downplay it. You know, which is typical of him. But then everything he did on the court was completely against everything that he said off the court. Um, okay, so I have Harden at one, Kawhi at two, Russ three, LeBron four, Curry five. So we have the same five. I mean, we can agree that Isaiah Thomas is not in this category. You said Harden, Kawhi, Harden, Kawhi, Russ, Russ LeBron, LeBron, Curry. And <laughs> would anyone have guessed that I'd have LeBron higher than you? on this no i don't think so big I mean, ups trust me it took <laughs> it took a lot of resistance not to put lebron See, higher I, but i almost put lebron ahead of harden at two um look i mean lebron could win it every year everyone like, this knows is it, one but of he's his not best years it. it is this it's is like, this, this is, is up there this is probably yeah. easily his best year since 2011-12 yeah when he like or no maybe which, which year was it in miami when he just went crazy i think it was 12-13 okay like during the twenty-seven game win streak, when he when, just was super conscious about his field goal percentage. Right. Yeah, yeah. Twelve, thirteen. He shot fifty-seven percent from the field, forty-one yeah. percent from three. Yeah, he never took a bad shot all year. Never turned it over. Yeah, that. I mean, this is the best LeBron we've seen since then. He's averaging also, in career high in rebounds and assists. I also just think 
that his his supporting cast I think gets overstated. Yes. <clears throat> when you look at the amount of time that J.R. Smith and Kevin Love have missed, just look at the other pieces around him and tell me how that supporting cast and like people is hate so much on better. Kyrie constantly. Like I think. I think you can make a, a decent case that Westbrook has a better supporting cast than LeBron. If you want to factor in injuries and you want to factor in the amount of times Kyrie had won before LeBron got there. I, well, I, just, I mean, how much do you buy into the whole the Cavs are terrible when LeBron doesn't play, which happens every time he sits, they get blown out. Does that mean anything to you? I, I mean, it's common sense, right? It, the The Spurs are really the only team that, can ever pull off the mm-hmm. oh we're gonna sit our good players but still win thing well here's the the reason that i don't have Kawhi one and before this past week i think i had him down at three or four it's kind of a brady belichick situation to me where the spurs like you, you can make the argument like obviously the spurs would not be nearly as good of a team as they are without Kawhi, but i still think that there'd be a pretty good team because popovich is that good of a coach and that system is so good and i'm not calling Kawhi leonard a system player because he's not but I think that the fall off wouldn't be as drastic with him because he's in such a great situation. Uh, yeah, no, I I think that's all very fair. When I'm, you know, factoring in team success with the Spurs, it's always difficult. You know, I think you could. I mean, do you want to just how much do you want to ding their best players for the system? I think if you if you have Kawhi matched up against James Harden or Kawhi matched up against Russell Westbrook or Kawhi matched up against really any of these players, even LeBron, I give him a decent chance of of winning the one on one battle if you yeah. factor in both both ends of the court. So we've, I, I, we've seen LeBron literally look at Kawhi checking into the game yeah. and shake his head yeah. because he doesn't want to deal with him. Like that's that's the biggest argument for Kawhi, right? Is like there's one guy on this list that we've talked about who could more often than not shut down everyone else on this list see well yeah like lebron lebron probably could too uh it's just we don't see it because he's at a stage in his career where putting that much effort in defensively unless it's Mm -hmm. the finals really doesn't make a ton of sense yeah um i just i don't know i think to me the fact that i would want if I could pick any of these, if you just all the numbers are pretty pretty even. If I could just pick any of these guys to d up any of them, it would be Kawhi. And I don't really think any of these guys could check Kawhi offensively either. So, mm-hmm. but yeah. like all these guys are so good offensively. Yeah, you know? it's like it's it's almost a, a fool's errand to even have that debate. Does it matter to you at all that Harden already broke his own turnover record single season? <laughs> he's up. He's at three seventy six and counting with seventeen games left. Russ is going to is going to surpass that too. He's at three forty eight, so they're going to basically finish, assuming neither of them get hurt, one two in single season history for turnovers. Does that matter, just, or is it just like okay, they're playing? Fast, I think it's just a, a really good reminder of why they're putting up the offensive numbers they're putting up. Like yeah. you can't you can't look at one without looking at the other. There's there's no way they would be putting up these offensive numbers in a pace of a pace of play from five or six years ago, and there's no way they'd right. be put, committing those turnovers exactly. for the pace of play five or six years ago. Right. Westbrook is 80th in turnover percentage. Harden, 16th in turnover percentage. I mean, that just comes with the usage. Like Westbrook is going to end up leading the league in usage by probably 5%. Yeah. Assuming DeMarcus Cousins regresses a little bit over these next couple of weeks with you know playing alongside and that's, Davis. And that's what makes That's his, crazy. That's a huge amount. That's what makes like his triple-double versus Harden and LeBron's almost triple-doubles to me, fairly even. Like yeah. Without without even talking about efficiency, right? Like if if they were using as many possessions as Westbrook is using, maybe they maybe they would be up there. Well, and like, where are you on being, you know, a quote unquote stickler for the arbitrary measurement of a triple double? You know, it's like, why? You know, is Russ getting oh. this big of a boost? Just be, like, what if he what if he finishes the well, season that, uh, a half of assists per game short of a triple double? Like. I feel like that's going to me, gonna kill him. To me, that's just more of a way to make fun of the voters. Like, yeah, but I, that's going to matter to people, right? Like, I to me, it doesn't matter at all. Which is why I'm saying, like, it just doesn't matter to right. me. Like, it, but to the people that would vote for him if he's averaging it and wouldn't vote mm-hmm. for him if he's not averaging, I, I just think you're an idiot. It's, it comes down to like, if, same with LeBron. To me, he's at eight point eight assists per game. If you know, at, you can go back. Well, if J.R. Smith makes two of those threes that he passed to him back in that mid-December game, it's a little higher. If you know, if Darren Williams hits right. that corner three, it's, he's got one more assist. Like so you're just, many, 
so many assists are out of right. your control. So many rebounds are mm-hmm. out of your control. Like where where the right. ball bounces on a shot is completely. You can give out a guy a wide sometimes. open pass underneath if he gets wrapped up and fouled. You don't get yeah. the assist. Like Side note: I for years, for if, <laughs> if and when I'm the NBA commissioner, first order of business: if you foul a player on a potential assist, they make both free throws. You should get the assist. I'm I'm in. Uh, why not? You get the two points are there. It just doesn't make sense. I don't know why I'm trying to convince you after you just said you agree with me. <laughs> um, okay, we'll do this one really quickly just because I'm curious, but we don't have time to go super in-depth. Who do you have more faith in turning around their franchise faster, Knicks or the Nets? Which team's going to be back in the playoffs first? The Knicks, just because they have Porzingis. Okay. That's it. Like that's yeah. That's the only thing in the Knicks' favor is okay. Has Porzingis? Yeah. Nets don't have, have made some shrewd moves and maybe have competent ownership now. Don't have Porzingis. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, I just don't know like how the how the Nets are getting a player right. even close to as good as Porzingis. I don't know how they're. I mean, doing like it's got to be free agency and like who's going to go sign but there? How, yeah, how? Like you, you. I mean, their only hope is like you. You like take a chance on somebody who people don't quite think is all that good, and he ends up being like your James Harden. But even like I don't know, like Brooklyn is such an unattractive destination. Like you offer Otto Porter the full max, yes, and, and the he turns into match. Kawhi Leonard overnight. Yeah, something which like is that. not going to happen. So yeah, that's like they need that. I'm with you. Like everything says, like the Nets are doing things the right way now, and like they'll be there. They'll be back eventually. I'd rather be. I think I'd rather be a Nets fan right now than a Knicks fan right now. Okay, just because I sure would. I hate rooting for a team where I just loathe the people making yes. the decision there's some, there's some kind of kind of hateable players on that next team but, too but the nets are being but the the nba is just so mm-hmm. player driven and the knicks already have a guy who is okay. gonna be a star all right uh brandon ingram update where are you on brandon ingram i'm still buying shares if people are selling them low he has the worst per ever for a rookie averaging at least 25 minutes per game all right put that out there um he does not have the worst per ever for a rookie who's played at least a thousand minutes though that uh, that record is safe that's held by rashad vaughn just want to get that out there as well <laughs> um but no i mean people are down on ingram and i'm gotta admit i'm kind of down on brandon ingram as well right that's now but right. you're still in i'm not i'm not in anywhere near as much as i was in okay. uh before the draft but i i just think he's where he's at developmentally He's just so okay. far. Like I think he's at kind of developmentally where, like Josh Jackson's at developmentally. Like Josh Jackson is also older than him, isn't he? I, that's what I'm saying. Like look at the age. Like he's the same age as like a lot of these guys that are going to be in the yeah. draft next year. So I just think, yeah, it it'd be nice if he'd been a lot more productive. Like I think if Josh Jackson had been playing with the Lakers all year instead of Kansas, he'd be more productive than uh, Ingram would be. But I just think that you you have to factor age in and you have to factor his physical maturity mm-hmm. in and you're just not looking at anywhere near the player that he has the potential to be in two or three years. Like I, I'm no longer projecting him as like a future all star. Right. But if if you want to just be like, I'm done with this guy, he's got no chance, I'll be like, Well, I'll I'll take those shares. Knowing what we know now about Ingram and what we know about these prospects how many guys in this 2017 class would you take over Ingram if you're the Lakers, if you could just do a straight-up swap? Five for sure. That's That says a lot, right? Like I, That's way more than I would have expected you to say five months ago. Yeah, but this is, I mean... Is that to me more it because says, this, this it, draft is so good, or Ingram's been not... To me, it says more about okay. the draft than okay. it does him, because I think in most classes, my answer would be two or three. Maybe, sure. maybe. Like I think there's classes, a lot of Some classes it might be one or yeah. zero. Yeah. So uh, I could maybe make a, a case for Lakina over him. Um, who else do I got? Would you rather have him or Jonathan Isaac? Oh, yeah. Six for sure then. You take I, Isaac I, over Ingram? Yes. Okay. That's yes. where I think I start drawing the line where it's like iffy. Yeah, I would take I would take Isaac over okay. for sure. Okay. Um. Where does Ingram rank in terms of the Lakers' assets? Is he still like number two behind their 2017 pick, assuming they keep it? <laughs> I think so. I just think that you have <laughs> that says a lot about D'Angelo. Russell. I think you have. I just think you have. Uh, it's a lot easier for me to draw 
more confident conclusions about what I think Russell's ceiling is than it is for me with Ingram. I think with Russell, I'm just getting a a solid starting point guard who's probably never going to be a top 10 point guard. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather just roll the dice on Ingram at that point. Real quickly, let's talk NBA draft. So I wrote something for the site that went up yesterday. We've talked so much about the lottery and so much about the top of this draft uh, on this podcast and on the website, and rightfully so, because it's going to be such a great draft at the top. But, you know, we've we've mentioned multiple times that, you know, in this draft, the guy you're getting at number five or number six might be the number one or the number two pick in a lot of drafts. And you can apply that same logic to kind of any point in the draft and say, okay, the guy you're getting at number 18 might usually be the 12th or the 13th pick. So basically what I did is I took a look at 10 guys who as of right now are probably either, you know, back end of the lottery or out of the lottery prospects uh, who in a lot of years would probably be, you know, in that, in that 12 to 15 range. So talked about Bam Adebayo, Ivan Rab, Luke Kennard, uh, Caleb Swanigan, and, and a few others. You can check that out on the website but is there anyone on this list that you want to hit on specifically i mean i i like a lot of these guys uh i basically picked the top 10 that i wanted to write about the most okay let's i don't really care about bam out of bio for whatever reason i know yeah I well, know let's just go down the list, the list and if, if we don't want to talk about him yeah. we'll just say a couple comments and that's it i mean out of bio to me he's been about what it, as expected right like i think if you expected him to be demarcus cousins you were poorly misled well i don't think he's been what i don't think he's been what most people expected because coming into the what year was the expectation well, coming into the year he was considered a really high probability lottery pick yeah and he hasn't been bad that's the thing it's not like he's had put together a scal year. he just he can't shoot and he can't protect the rim and if you're that big and you can't do either of those things right. i don't know what the appeal is he has the tools to protect the rim in theory yeah athletically physically that's i mean he's going to be drafted on athleticism and physical measurements he's going to test really well and he's still going to probably he could i mean he could go in the back end of the lottery and that wouldn't be a surprise at all no no i mean i just i don't think in today's game people are looking for bigs that no that lack both of those qualities right. i mean people are but you're not looking for them at pick number 11 they're know? they're guys that you view as long term like seventh or eighth man. sure yeah ivan rab I think he's the guy on this list who, looking back in terms of where he could have gone last year, probably wishes he would have came out. And I think he had, you know, I, it, there was academic reasons he wanted to stay in school. And, and, you know, it's not like he'd, I think he knew what he was getting himself into, but he's probably going to go 10 spots lower in this draft than he would have last year. Yeah, I think he would have gone, you know, top top six-ish if he'd come out last year. I I don't know what to make of him in the NBA. I think realistically we have to think of him as maybe just a a high-end first big off the bench type of guy. Yeah, which if you're taking him in the 15 to 25 range, that's fine. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't see him I don't really see him going in the lottery. I just think teams are going to just really want to roll the dice on a, on a bit more upside at that mm-hmm. point. Yeah, I think so too. I think I mean he he got better as a three point shooter this year, but he regressed a little bit, and his field goal percentage is down like ten percentage points. He he just didn't put together this like crazy dominant year that I think he maybe thought he was going to to solidify that draft stock. But he wasn't bad either. Luke Kennard, I think we've touched on him once or twice. Yeah, he's I think we have. he's a big favorite on this show. Yeah, friend of the pod. Mm. I don't really have a lot more no. to say about Kennard. We've Love we've him. pretty much covered it with him, but him. he can't go he can't go too high. No, that's the thing. It's like he's white, so we have to put this like artificial ceiling on his game. And he just pulled up from three live, live, a live Kennard oh. hitting a pull up three. This is good podcasting right here. Yeah. we'll keep you we'll keep you posted <laughs> yeah, on this, we'll this Duke Louisville game that's on in the game. studio. That'll be well over by the time this <laughs> this is posted. Um, but with Kennard, like the best comparison I could come up with was Mike Miller, and like you know now we remember Mike Miller as this like vaguely wolf-looking man who hits threes with his shoe off. But he was really good. He was a rookie of the year back in the day. Maybe one of the worst rookie of the year seasons ever, but a rookie of the year nonetheless. 
could he handle like Kennard can slash I don't know. Like I was can? like seven when Mike Miller because I rookie of the year. To me, Miller was just a very very clear small forward from the moment he entered the league and like a kind of a typical small forward sure. guy that you're not asking to create much, uh, who's just kind of a scorer. Kennard's now, more of a two to me. Kennard's a two for sure, and he's it's all like one of the trickiest things to to sort of scout is when a guy handles the ball like at the two in college to tell whether or not he, he's going to be able to handle the ball in the NBA because there is just a huge gap there right. in terms of the the type of defense and the type of resistance you're going to meet. Well, just in, in the college game too, where like a lot of his handling, he'll, he'll come and it'll, it, you know, they'll run the dribble handoff. It's mm-hmm. like he's handling the ball, catching a dribble handoff and kind of weaving into the lane where – Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you do that motion in the NBA, but not quite as much. You know, it's not like they're ISOing him one on one. You know, I I think there are just a lot of super cliche comps you can make with him. I I think the the key thing is he's just a a really 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 good shooter. Mm-hmm. I think he has really really good intangibles. Clearly has uh, the type of work ethic you're looking for if you just look at how much better he's got each year, and he's. You know the the th- the fact that he is clearly the leader and best player on this Duke team, to me says a lot because I think a lot of guys with his skill set would just naturally kind of slide into this spot up shooter role where they're right. just not doing much. Uh, but his talent is such that he is is the best player and the and the go to guy on this team. Yeah, and one of the things I'm excited to see with Kennard as he develops, and this is a case with all white players, <laughs> is what direction he goes with his hair. Yeah, sure. Uh, terrible hair right now. It's yep. you know probably bottom tier, bottom 10% in the country. But at some point in the NBA, usually it's around year two, three, four, white players like get hooked up with a really good barber. We saw it with J.J. Redick. We've seen it with Gordon Hayward now. Like At some point, Kennard's going to figure it out. Sam Decker. I, I love how I love how you're like. Well, we've talked about this guy so much. We're not going to spend much time on him. It's like five, well, minute five of Kennard talk. <laughs> I think I think right. the listeners can handle seventy five right. seconds of Luke Kennard. Uh, Swanigan. Swanigan. We like. We've talked about him a lot too. Yep. Uh, love Caleb Swanigan, but you know he would have been better in two thousand one. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I I still think he's going to end up being a steal, assuming he doesn't go in the top mm-hmm. like seventeen or eighteen. Uh, Justin Jackson, this is a guy that I think I was definitely wrong about in terms, at least in terms of how, if he had another gear to get to between yeah. last year and this year, I didn't think he had ACC player of the year material and, and how no. good that conference has been this year. He probably benefited the most. You could argue of anyone who almost came out last year and came back. Like he had like the opposite effect of what that, that decision had for Nigel Hayes. Yeah, that. That rarely happens where yeah. the guy's just like, oh, I'm not going to get drafted anywhere near as high as mm-hmm. I thought, so I'm going to come back. Usually it's just, I'm going to come back because why not enjoy these next right. couple of years of college when I'm not going to get mm-hmm. go any higher. Yeah, I mean, he he checks all the boxes What type now. of role does he play? Is I, he like I an eighth know. man? I think he could be better than that. Honestly, I mean, he's 6'8 with a 6'11 wingspan. He's shooting 40% from three on seven attempts per game. Other three from Kennard to to pull ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Keep those updates coming. God, that hair is awful. But no, I think Justin Jackson could be a starting caliber two for like a middling NBA team, right? Looking at you. Does he have have like Jeremy Lamb but with a better motor? Yeah, I think that's a great comp. He's long. He's super athletic. Yeah, I think I think he's he's one of those players that game will translate to the NBA level where it's a little more open and yeah. I, I don't he's know. He's gonna he's have like, to shoot it well, right? Like, in and the he's NBA. he's up ten percentage points this year from three. So if you believe that that improvement is permanent, then I think you could definitely see him go off the board somewhere in the twenties. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty fair. All right, Jawan Evans. I watched Jawan Evans early in the season. Really, really liked him. Didn't get a chance to watch him that much until. Uh, against Kansas in the the Big 12 regular season finale last weekend he went for 22 and 15 and the first thing I said to you on I guess it was Tuesday when you were in the office was I know he's not Chris Paul but he plays an awful lot like Chris Paul 
And I don't really understand why Juwan Evans is considered like an early second round pick by some. I think he'll work his way into the back end of the first. I mean, he's 6'1". That's the knock, I guess. But other than that, like his his statistics, his per game statistics are great. His advanced numbers are great. He's leading in the country or he's third in the country in assist rate. Uh, he's a great scorer. He's a good three-point shooter. Like what's the knock on Juwan Evans? I think for his size, teams maybe are going to want a bit more in terms of either shooting or elite athleticism. I mean, how how good of an athlete do you think he is? I think he's an average to above average athlete for the position. He's not a, a freak athlete by any Cause, means. Because like Chris Paul is just someone that I, I just don't think you can ever comp someone to like in terms of seeing a guy whose body and athleticism reminds you of Chris Paul like it wasn't that, that it was the way he like operates in the pick and roll just yeah. like the weaving and the, well, I, the getting I just, defenders on his hip I just mean like the the amount of point guards who succeed at a high level with Chris Paul's measurables and and his measurables are pretty similar to Evans uh measurables it's just it's so hard to make that work like you have to be so special right. as That's a true. as a passer uh and like even like shorter guys you know like a like Isaiah Thomas uh, just better shooters than Evans. I don't know. I th- I think he'll. I think you're right. He. I think he could sneak in. I think he's to the first really round. Good. I think it it hurts him that he's coming out in what's going to be like such a point guard heavy draft. Not that if you know you could take away Smith and Folds and Balls. Like I don't think that means all of a sudden Juwan Evans like some team's going to grab him at five. Well, not, but there's five better point guards clearly than him in this draft. Not only is it a point guard heavy draft, but it's a point guard heavy league. Like there's yeah. there's a lot of teams picking near the top that are going to be just really uneasy about mm-hmm. taking a point guard because they already have a point right. guard. Right, and like so. no one's grabbing Juwan Evans at 22 and saying you're gonna we're just gonna hand you the reins. You know, like if right. you're picking in that range, you probably already have a pretty good point guard. He's gonna. You know, hopefully he ends up in a better situation than like Tyus Jones, where yeah. he just like never has an opportunity to to right. get a get starters minutes. But I mean, it's it's we'll realistic see. that he could be like a Terry Rozier guy early. You know, where it's some nights he might play twenty minutes, other nights he might not play at all. Like, mm-hmm. I just hope he doesn't become Demetrius Jackson. Like, has any have we heard from Demetrius Jackson? Like, we were talking about him as a lottery pick. He <laughs> falls in the second round, and he's just he's just off the face of the earth now. Yeah, your guess is as good as mine. Yeah, I really don't know. Uh, Donovan Mitchell from Louisville, he's on the list. He's really interesting. Um, Ricky O'Donnell, who we actually had on the podcast a couple months ago, wrote a really nice article on Mitchell yesterday, and I, I actually linked that in in my article. But he he mentioned that Donovan Mitchell, like so many other great Louisville guards, is basically a shooting guard trapped in a point guard's body. And he mentioned, you know, Russ Smith is kind of one of those guys mm. too. Mitchell's got more size than Russ Smith, granted. Uh, but he's kind of that, he's 6'3". If he's two inches taller, we'd be looking at him as, you know, probably a a very strong lottery candidate. Yeah. <clears throat> like guys like this, they just need to be really special to make it work. And I, I just don't think he's quite mm. there. I think he could carve out a career as a eighth or ninth man. You know, Malik Monk, even I still have concerns about yeah. his size, and he's just 10 times the player that Malik Mitchell Monk is. has just been so, like, overwhelmingly productive that we've almost had to ignore the size issue. Right. And, and I mean, great athlete, too, mm-hmm. just just like Mitchell. But. Better athlete than us, I would say. Yeah. All right, three more guys real quickly. John Collins from Wake Forest. I will admit, until like three weeks ago, I had never heard of John Collins, as most of the country probably hadn't, unless you're really following the ACC. He's a first-team All-ACC performer, finished second to Justin Jackson in uh, Conference Player of the Year voting, took home the ACC's most improved player. I think I called him in the article this this draft's version of Marquise Chris. I think, one, he's a better prospect than Chris, but uh, two, just the way that he's... I think so. I think the way that he's rising up draft boards is going to remind people of Marquise Chris because even this time last year we were not talking about Chris and I think Collins even though I included him in this non-lottery piece I think he's going to be a lottery pick I think we were talking about Chris this time last year I might be wrong I'll have to check the archives check the archives uh he I mean he looks like an NBA player I'm just I don't know who he reminds me of necessarily but when you watch him play it's Mm -hmm. it's clear that he has NBA skills 
I think whether he can develop into a really good shooter is going to yeah. be huge. He, he has taken one three on the year. It was in a desperation situation. He has 14 assists on the season. So those are like yeah. the two knocks is that he's not like his all-around guy. Right. And he doesn't stretch the floor. But he shoots well from the free throw line. He would have been better like uh, – Swanigan would have been better in yeah. the 90s, I think. Yeah. Well, I, I think Collins, too, he's really young. He was super under-recruited. You know, he's added 20 pounds since he got to campus. Uh, he's younger than Josh Jackson and Laurie Markinen by several months, and he's only he's less than a month older than Robert Williams from Texas A&M, who's a freshman, and that's kind of who I think he'll be competing against primarily for, for draft position when it comes down to it. So, I mean, you can make the argument that that age does help him. Tyler Lydon, Syracuse you know the lazy comp is like a sam decker type he's white he's pretty athletic he's bigger than decker he's he, a better rebounder he does more does more stuff in yeah, the paint he's better than decker uh he's well i don't know about that i think he is i mean De- i also don't decker know is that, a productive nba player yeah right decker's now. good not nothing against decker i just think well the other thing is decker was never asked to carry a team like Lydon has been like decker <laughs> was never the first option in college yeah i so mean that's that difference i guess i i think Lyon's got a weird skill set because I, I do think he does a lot of his best work near the hoop, and he's six nine, but th- that's just not going to really work in the NBA. So I think he goes late twenties, maybe mid twenties. But I, you know, I don't, I don't know. We got to wrap this up. Yes, we do. Uh, last guy is Terrence Ferguson. You can read the article. I, I think I wrote more about Ferguson than anyone else, but he basically followed the Emmanuel Moutier, Brandon Jennings route playing in Australia this year. The numbers aren't good, but he's a freak, you know, Gerald Green type of athlete who I think is tantalizing enough in that regard that that somebody will end up taking a chance on him somewhere in the first round. But like you said, we got to wrap this up. Three Amigos will be back tomorrow. I'm Bob Ruff, host of the Truth and Justice podcast. Each season on Truth and Justice, we reinvestigate a wrongful conviction cold case. Our investigations are shared on the show in real time, and you actually participate in the investigation. Season three has just begun, so this is the perfect time to get on board right from the beginning of a brand new case. Search for Truth and Justice on your favorite podcast directory and start listening and participating today. Start on episode 301, murder on September to join in on the investigation. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.